Hi, welcome to Influence Now podcast. Uh, my name is Justin Kraft. I'm your host, and I'm here with Miko Matsumura, and he is co-founder of um, the Evercoin Exchange and um, is everything blockchain, honestly. So I'm going to let you introduce yourself a little bit, get a little bit more bio than I just gave, Miko. Um, we're extremely to have, have you here today, actually, and uh, welcome, and, and thank you for doing this with us today. Of course, Justin. I'm, I'm very excited to be here today. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely a strong proponent of blockchain technologies. Uh, and just a little couple words of, of introduction for myself. Uh, I've been here in Silicon Valley for about 25 years. I've been working on open source technologies, startups, venture capital. Uh, I got started with the Java programming language, which is really one of the foundational languages of the internet back in the mid-90s. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to turn 50 this year, so, you know, I guess I saw this first wave of internet, and I feel like we're moving into this second wave of internet of value. So I feel like we're really this whole blockchain uh, Bitcoin cryptocurrency movement is something that is cresting and it's starting to develop and pick up steam now. Yeah, it's it's almost the startup world to a whole new extreme, right? <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. There's a huge uh, what I consider to be evolutionary transformation or Cambrian explosion of creativity and you know of energy. You know, if you look at the phenomenon that's called ICO. It's representing more than like six billion USD uh, over the past even twelve months. Uh, so I think it's it's been an incredible, fruitful, creative time for this cryptocurrency and blockchain driven industry. Yeah, and we'll get more into some of the ICO stuff and some explanation. No matter if you are a beginner at this or an expert at this, I think there's going to be some valuable stuff coming out of today. Um, but the first thing I want to ask you because we're the official podcast of the Global Blockchain Summit coming up uh, in April here in Denver, Colorado, and you're going to be one of the uh, main speakers or keynote speakers for that event. I'd like to just know what you're looking forward to. And I, I know you've done it in the past. You've been at the Global Blockchain Summit here in Denver. What are you looking forward to with this event coming up? I really like the Global Blockchain Summit as far as world conferences, places where people assemble to talk about the blockchain. Uh, I do think that uh, it's a curated group of people. It's definitely a very thoughtful and sincere group of people. So I'm a definitely a fan of the organizers. I feel like they're great people to do business with. So, you know, really, if you show up at that conference, you're going to make some new friends. Uh, you're going to get some really juicy conversations. And I think that's really what it's all about. Yeah, some of the speaker lineup is just incredible, and, and the networking that you're going to be able to do with the actual speakers at that event are going to be great. So, and, and was that your experience last year when you did it? Yeah, I think it's a fairly intimate setting. I think it's very nice because it means that you're going to get direct access to speakers. You know, you're going to get to really get the mindset, you know, so as far as just making connections and friendships, and, you know, it's contained so that, that it really is able to deliver that for you. It's not one of these giant halls with thousands of people in it, you know, which is a, it, also an excellent thing, but it's quite different. And this, this one is much more conversational. It's more intimate. It's kind of closer knit, right? So the people really get a chance to connect with each other socially. And I think that that's a, that's very uh, precious, I think. 
fantastic. I couldn't agree more. So um, now taking the commercial part out of this. <laughs> so um, give our audience a little bit. Uh, you do an amazing job. I just uh, watched uh, the bit interview you did. You do an amazing job explaining how ICOs work. And I, I would just like to for you to give a little bit of an explanation on the, the difference between an ICO um, versus like say an IPO or, uh, or, you know, any, any kind of like, ex any kind of, uh, whether it's a, you know, security or whatever it is, kind of the differences between what ICOs, how they work, how fundings raise versus how it's startup like inherently or used to get funding or still gets funding with VC money. What is the, what is kind of what, how does an ICO work? What does it do? Uh, give our audience a little bit of what that is. Yeah, so what I do want to express first and foremost is that the ICO is still largely in a state of what I call a wild west, right? Which is that the thing that's amazing that has emerged in ICO is that what is happening is that people are buying cryptographic tokens, currencies, assets, whatever you want to call them, because what they are are they're really just markers inside of a blockchain ledger so you know and each so-called ico is minting a completely new cryptographic currency so most people at this time have heard about bitcoin right so bitcoin is a specific type of currency but each of these companies that's performing an ico is minting its own currency so you know you could create like a miko coin or you know, you could create a Justin coin, you could create an influence now coin, you could create any kind of coin you want, right? And so what people are accumulating or buying is they're essentially buying these coins and they're putting them inside of their own cryptocurrency wallet. The reason why I describe it as a wild west is because these things are different from buying equities, right? And the main difference is this, is that when you buy equity, let's say in a startup, you actually get legally defined rights. The thing that's amazing about what's happening with cryptocurrencies is, is they generally confer like no shareholder rights and they generally have no fiduciaries. So there's not typically not a board of directors. <clears throat> and so the thing that, that can be a little unsettling is that the fate of people going along for this ride is less certain, right? So I think that, you know, in a way, they are a high, high risk asset. And what I wanted to kind of make sure that the audience understands is that the mindset of people who are allocating in this asset class should be an extremely high risk mindset. It's even riskier than doing startup equity. And if you really want a resource, that I think will help you get closer to that mindset is you should read uh, Angel, a book by Jason Kalkanis, or you can listen to the audiobook of that name. But uh, what I love to say about that book is, you know, Jason Kalkanis is actually not a cryptocurrency proponent. In fact, you know, I watched Jason Kalkanis at BlockCon in Santa Monica say, if you're doing if you're investing in an ICO, you lost all your money. If you're doing an ICO, you're going to jail. 
So, so Jason Kalkanis, who's a famous angel investor, is totally anti-cryptocurrency. But the reason I'm suggesting that people read his book is because his mindset is pretty close to what I think ICO investors should think. So for the, the one example I want to give is that he does 50 deals a year, five zero, right? So the point is this, right? Which is if your mindset is, oh, my cousin is doing an ICO uh, on his cement mixing truck company, you know, I'm going to mortgage my house and I'm going to put everything into that ICO. Like you're going to get yourself in hot water. You know, if you're mortgaging your house and putting it all into a single ICO, like you are at great risk. So, so I just, I want people to be very careful and I want people to have the right mindset and I don't want them to allocate more money into a risky proposition than they can afford to lose. So that, that I think is important. Yeah, it's like, it's like when you go, I recently just went to Las Vegas. It's like when you go to a blackjack table, I'm not going to put down more money than I'm willing to lose, right? So I, I think you got to you got to look at it this the same way, correct? Yes, and you know, and so to me, like, you know, ICO, so if you what you want to look at is you want to look at where you are. So the, the phrase like, you know, being out on a limb Right, like if you the further out you go on a limb, you know the the more you you might kind of crack the limb might fall and you you know you could fall on your butt, right? So so the thing that I want to say to you is is that you know if you put resources into Bitcoin, you're kind of out on a limb, right? And then if you take those Bitcoins and then you start putting them into the ICOs, like you're not even out on a limb anymore. You're out on a branch that's coming off that limb, you know? And if you want to go into like a really speculative ICO, like your cousin's ICO with the cement truck, you know, you're out on a twig. Like you're not even out on a limb or on a branch. Like you're way, way far out there. You are far out there. So mm -hmm. I just want to clarify that, you know, that these are high risk uh, assets, crypto assets are. Uh, you know, but at the same time, the thing that's fascinating about what's happened is, is that because the base of the crypto economy has been formed and it's so robust in the form of like hundreds of billions of dollars of value in Bitcoin and in another popular coin called Ether, uh, these assets are now diversifying and they're diversifying into. So the thing that's amazing is there are people with so many Bitcoins, so much Ether, that it actually behooves them to take some of that, which is already at risk, and to push it further away from the limb into branches, into twigs, into leaves, like, because they're really trying to like diversify what they have. Mm -hmm. So to me, you know, if your first move in crypto is to take like money you can't afford to lose and put it into a leaf, like you're now in a really rickety spot. So I just, I want to make sure to encourage people to read or listen to the audiobook called Angel by Jason Kalkanis because it helps you understand the mindset of diversification, of professionalization. If you are thinking about investing in the space, you know, you should gain some of the mindset of the best thinkers about this type of thing. So what, what is... Because the natural question for a lot of people is, I don't want to even get into Bitcoin. I don't want to get into blockchain because they really don't understand 
how it provides any value. So maybe you can give a little explanation on the value it actually provides, whether it's the decentralization conversation or if it's pegged to something. What what do these ICOs or what are the what is this technology based on? Just so our audience understands that. Absolutely. So what I want to really make sure everybody comes away with is a real understanding of the fundamental value because there are super highly placed uh, economists, Nobel Prize winning economists, there are some you know central bank figures that are saying things like there is no fundamental value. And to me, that's really just wrong. There is a fundamental value within cryptocurrency, and I'll explain what that is, which is that the thing that the Bitcoin blockchain has proven to the world, and it's amazing what's been proven, which is that you can create a peer-to-peer currency that is trustworthy without any central trusted intermediary. What does that mean? What it means is that you and Justin can transact and we can actually transfer value back and forth without requiring there to be a trusted third party. I'm not saying there's no third party. There is. There are these computers called miners, and the miners are helping to secure the transaction. But the thing that's amazing is, is that you and I don't have to trust those computers because the computers are governed by pure mathematics. They're governed by thermodynamics. They're governed by basic physical laws of the universe. And the thing that is the incredible thing that has happened with the blockchain technology, in particular, the Bitcoin blockchain, it literally makes it thermodynamically and economically impossible to lie about transactions. That is a crazy, crazy thing that has happened, which is that Bitcoin blockchain makes it thermodynamically and economically impossible to lie about transactions. That is an astonishing statement. What that means is according to the rules of Bitcoin, every single ledger entry in the Bitcoin blockchain is the truth, right? So there is no participant in the Bitcoin ecosystem that can point to a single ledger entry in the Bitcoin blockchain and say, that never happened, right? That's phenomenal, right? That's an amazing, amazing event. So the question then becomes, like, people call blockchain, they call it distributed ledger technology, right? So what that what does that mean? It means that it's like an Excel spreadsheet, and it basically says, look, Nico, pay Justin, one Bitcoin on this day, right? So that's what the ledger says, right? So the thing that's interesting about the blockchain is the blockchain is a ledger that's basically stored, not on your computer, but it's stored on many, many computers. And to be honest, there are many, many copies, right? And the reason why all the copies exist is so that all the copies can compare notes with each other. And whenever I do a transaction, if I'm sending a transaction to Justin of one Bitcoin, I announce that to the blockchain. So I just tell everyone, I'm like, hey, everyone, I'm sending one Bitcoin to Justin. 
thousands of computers could be like taking note of that, could be like, oh, okay, I saw that happen. Eventually what happens is this thing called consensus, right? So, you know, every 20 minutes or so, all the computers look at all the transactions and say, did you see this happen? I saw it happen. Did that other guy see it happen? So they're constantly comparing notes. And the thing that's amazing about it, and people complain that Bitcoin burns too much electricity, what they're doing is they're making it extremely expensive to lie. And the, the reason why it's expensive it is, is because you have to burn a certain amount of electricity to earn the right to talk, right? So you basically burn the electricity and you say, hey, I saw that transaction between Nico and Justin. And I did this work. And that's called proof of work. So you essentially cryptographically sign the fact that you computed and you burned electricity in the computation and it cost you money. So the thing that's really interesting is, is that if you want to get, so the reason why it's important to look at is, is that let's say I get a thousand messages saying Miko paid just, right? How would I engineer a system where I get another thousand messages saying that never happened? Right? How would I do that? I would have to set up thousands of computers and each of those computers would have to burn electricity that's costing me money. Right? So the point is, is it's thermodynamically and economically just, it's, it's completely not a reasonable thing to be able to lie. Right? It's, it's too expensive. Right? It would be cheaper just for me to let those computers mine Bitcoin and then I would profit from them doing a good thing and not attacking the network. So, so to make a long, long story short, what I wanted to say about this is, is that the fundamental value is that we have now created a system that is an alternate system for the financial infrastructure of the world. Now, why is that important? Let me give you a real quick concept here, which is on September 15th, 2008, the largest bankruptcy in the history of the United States happened, which was Lehman Brothers. So Lehman Brothers went bankrupt essentially on that day. And that day, we are now living in a post-Lehman universe. That is the Humpty Dumpty event for the Bretton Woods Agreement that underpins our global economy. And the reason why I say this with such strength is, is that we're $12 trillion of money printing downstream of that day. We are $10 trillion of negative yielding bond sales downstream of that day. So many things had to happen with quantitative easing that essentially broke all the rules of our economy. So the government essentially was forced to make essentially like huge amounts of what I would call fake money in order to survive. And I don't blame them for a second, which is if they did not take those actions, Goldman Sachs goes down, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch goes down, JP Morgan goes down, like Wells Fargo goes down, Bank of America goes down. We're eating grass, like the economy is over, right? So what do you do? You print insane amounts of fake money. And what do you do? The U.S. government treasury buys toxic assets. It buys private assets from 
banks that have overextended credit default swaps that have bought essentially worthless assets, right? So the point that I'm making is, is that if 1% of the trust in government and fiat currency flows into an alternate financial infrastructure, if just 1% of that trust was gone on that day, then this justifies double the value of what we're seeing in Bitcoin. In fact, it justifies like 10 times the value of what we're seeing in Bitcoin today. So the point that I'm making is, is that let's say you have a monopoly. What is the fundamental value of having something that disrupts that monopoly, that competes with that monopoly, and it forces that monopolist into a competition where it has to perform better, it has to do better. And if it doesn't do better, then you can use the alternative, right? So the thing that I think is based, the fundamental value is to date, the global economy has had no alternative. It has had no alternative financial infrastructure, and now it does. So I think that if you want to look at a fundamental value for cryptocurrency, it's providing a decentralized alternative to centralized, government-backed, or government-minted currencies that are based on central banking. And that's scary for a lot of people. <laughs> so, so anytime, anytime you something like a competition or something new comes out, and this actually isn't all that new anymore. If you go back to the late '90s, this concept, um, it's always scary for a lot of people to accept that a change is going to happen. They they don't always accept change very well. And I think that's where you get a lot of naysayers coming out about this uh, technology. But having said that, there's valid points within that. So I don't know what you have, if you have any thoughts around that and kind of what the naysayers are saying around it. And if that's even on point what I'm saying, but that's my belief around it. Well, I think it's absolutely unquestionable. And the reality is this, right? Which is that, of course, people are fearful and they should be fearful because it is an incredibly disruptive concept. And the thing that I want to take note of is you know, I mentioned that Lehman Brothers collapsed on September 15th of 2008, you know, basically sending the Dow Jones down 500 points, largest drop since September 11th. And you have to take note that the Satoshi Nakamoto Bitcoin white paper, the first inkling or introduction to the public of the existence of Bitcoin happened in October of that year, happened in the next month, October 31, 2008. So this is a revolutionary technology, and I think people are right to be cautious about it. And the thing that's interesting is, is that it has to prove itself, and it has to prove that it's trustworthy, and thus far, people have been leaning into it gradually. And so if you really think about the total percentage of the global economy value that has pushed into cryptocurrency, it's quite small, right? So it's, a, it's still a fraction of a percent of the global economy that's leaned into here. And that's reflective of the caution that people are taking with this form of money. So I, to me, I think caution is warranted 
Because what's happening is, is as Bitcoin inflates and deflates, you have to imagine a person who's standing on a rickety, dangerous bridge. And that rickety, dangerous bridge is our global economy, as it is. Because what we know is we know that our global economy, as it is, is capable of failing and collapsing, right? Mm -hmm. We know that, and we know that as of September 15, 2008, we know we're not on a reliable bridge. So what we're seeing is we're seeing that person leaning into this other bridge, decentralized cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, and they've put like less than 1% of their body weight on the other bridge. So are they fearful? Yes, of course they're fearful. Should they be fearful? Of course they should be fearful, right? This is an important transition. And clearly there are bugs, there are issues to be worked out. But one of the things that has been proven already is that you can put hundreds of billions of dollars into Bitcoin. And when you go back over there, it'll still be there, right? So it, what's been proven is to date is that it is capable of storing a huge amount of value and that that storage is an incredible incentive for hackers. It's an incredible incentive for people to try to just steal the money or to come up with schemes to break it open. And I will say this, it's certainly possible to trick someone into sending Bitcoin to the wrong address. And according to the rules of Bitcoin, it's, that's immutable and irreversible. So if you have been tricked into sending Bitcoin to the wrong address, that's gone and that does happen. But what I can say is I can say that if you send it to the correct address, then it's going to work and it's proven to work up to the level of several hundred billion US dollars. So I think that's, so, so far, what people should conclude is that's amazing, right? Like you've given a person, it's not a person, but you've given Bitcoin, you know, thousands of dollars and then you go away. When you come back, Bitcoin has been like, I still have your money, here it is. So to me, like that trust is currently being worked out. And I think people are starting to feel like it is a foundation and that it's not untrustworthy. But what people are realizing is they're realizing that you still have to be careful, right? It's not, you know, it's not like you should go over there and just throw money randomly at people you don't know. And I think that that's, that's true for the world, right? Which yes. is you shouldn't just give arbitrarily give money to people you don't know. And I feel like one of the dangerous things that's happening in ICO is that people are almost randomly giving money to people that they actually don't know. And, you know, so that's one of the dangers in Mexico is that there are a lot of scammers and there's a lot of shady people in there, but there are also some incredibly smart innovators that are going to change the landscape of technology. You just led me to an amazing segue. Thank you for that. So taking what you just said, you're invested yourself um, in quite a few ICOs and also um just involved, whether it's advisory level or whatever it is with, I, I can think of Guardian Circle, um, Hub is some of the ones I'm thinking of, B-Token. Um, some of these, I see them as startups as well, clearly. And they're also doing really cool things to solve real problems in the world. 
but I want to get your take on why you've invested or put time into the ones that you have put time into or are helping with. I, I think that would be valuable for the audience to, just to understand your perspective on what makes an ICO a good ICO and why you're involved with the ones you're involved with. Absolutely. So, you know, if you're curious about the specific things that I am allocating my time into, uh, you know, feel free to visit Miko.com. That's M-I-K-O.com. And it does list each and every one that I'm working on, either presently or things that have been completed and as, a, as ICOs. And so what is it that I'm looking for? So, you know, the reason why I mentioned the book uh, Angel by Jason Calcanis, I'm giving him quite a, a nice little pump here, uh, you know, is that it really helps you understand how important things like team is, right? So when you think about the leadership team, of these projects, a lot of these projects definitely have the feeling of early stage startup companies, right? So with that in mind, I'm very passionate about connecting with and meeting the team. And again, when you think about it from the perspective of an investment, you know, one of the best things that you can try to do is to think about cryptocurrencies as currencies or as a real form of asset that you own and control. So when you start thinking about that, Think of them the same way that you would think about U.S. dollars in your wallet, you know. And so the point is, is that would you go, like, think about who would you take money out of your wallet and hand over? Like, you know, so to me, like, one of the mindsets that's missing from crypto, the crypto economy and ICO is that people do seem to be just kind of like casino gaming, you know, because my mindset around these are, you know, I really want to look these people in the eye, right? A number of these projects have leaders that I've known for decades. So for example, you mentioned Hub. So one of the, so Eric Lee is one of the technical co-founders of LinkedIn. And I've known him since the beginning of the Java revolution in the internet. And so, you know, I'm able to look him in the eye and I'm able to look at his track record. You know, I know, he lives in Silicon Valley. And I, you know, so to me, like, that's a person that I feel trust for, right? So if you, you know, there's others like WorkCoin. I've known Fred Krueger for a similar amount of time, uh, Guardian Circle. I've known Mark Jeffrey for a similar amount of time. So to me, part of it is that you have to, it's, you have to really feel that. You have to feel like, here's my money coming out of my wallet. And I'm actually just going to hand it to these people. And so, you know, that's a real thing that's happening, right? That's, it, these are things, these are crypto assets that have measurable economic value on an exchange. And you can convert these things into U.S. dollars. And you should think of them as functionally equivalent to U.S. dollars in your wallet. So, you know, you just don't hand that stuff out to anybody and you certainly shouldn't hand that out to people you haven't met. If you are planning to hand that out to people you haven't met, which I don't advise. So for example, you know, all of the ones I'm working on, I've obviously met the people, but you know, you should at least be watching their videos on YouTube and you should be looking at their LinkedIn histories and you should be looking to see like, is this really a trustworthy person? That's, that's probably the biggest thing you should think about. Right. And, and having proof of concept in the past 
um, and, and being able to push a company forward, I think, uh, is hitting on a lot of what you're saying. Absolutely. Like an entrepreneur like an Alex Mashinsky from Celsius, like, you know, he's raised about $1 billion USD across seven startup companies. He's returned more like $3 billion in returns to his shareholders in the past. So, like, that's the kind of person who, if you hand them money and entrust them, that they actually understand the obligations, they understand the responsibilities of that, and they understand that they're being asked to kind of be fruitful with that money and not just to kind of like spend it on whatever, right? That they, they really take the fiduciary responsibility of that very seriously. So, you know, there are definitely individuals where you have to just look at them and say, you know, and if you have a track record of success, and not only success just in terms of enriching yourself, but in terms of returning value to your shareholders or to your token holders, you know, very little track record people returning value to token holders. But, you know, if you do have a track record and you have a history and it's a benevolent or beneficial history, like that's an amazing thing. And it's something that increases people's trustworthiness. But I would love, if anything, to inject into ICO and into crypto economy this really strong feeling of the reality of what's happening, which is you're reaching into your pocket and you're taking your hard-earned dollars and you're handing them to someone across the internet. Hmm. And that, I think, is needs to be taken seriously. It's a very serious business. Now, I'm going to take something you said there, too, and, and, and take a different perspective on it. And that is, say I'm starting an ICO and I don't have the pedigree of you know, being a part of starting LinkedIn, for example, or, or having this 10 years of entrepreneurial experience and, and, and pushing out uh, multi-million dollar um, startups. What would your advice be to a person that has a great idea that they believe is a great idea? Because I know some of our listeners are also going to be those looking to launch ICOs. What would you recommend they do in order to get a good enough pedigree or get positioned enough to where they can get people like yourself involved with their ICO that, you know, it's, it's beyond just their family giving, you know, mortgaging their, the farm to help them get this thing started or whatever it is that we were talking about earlier. What, what advice would you give on those terms? Terrific. So I'd love to give a few key pieces of advice. I would say that one of the key pieces of advice is really to kind of, uh, check in and see exactly what your motivations are, right? Because, you know, I'm not opposed to innovators who have truly added value to society getting compensated appropriately. I do think that that's deep in the soul and culture of Silicon Valley, which is essentially a capitalistic mindset. So I'm not opposed to any of those things. But you should definitely question your motivations, which is why am I doing this, right? Connect that also to blockchain and cryptocurrency, right? Which is, is blockchain and cryptocurrency a deep part of what you're trying to achieve? Or are you just trying to kind of perpetrate a money grab, you know, like, because obviously if there's no connection with the technology, then, and there's a bunch of folks 
doing that kind of thing. So I think you should, first of all, like check your hat at the door, you know, make sure that you're doing this for the right reasons. If you pass that test, the thing that I think I would really encourage is as follows, which is there's two things you can do. One of them is what I call day one disarmament. What does day one disarmament mean? It means that you can set up structures that make it almost impossible for you to cheat your investors, right? So for example, common structures that make a ton of sense are things like having a board of directors that has a fiduciary responsibility. So these types of things, those are people that can actually handle the money as it comes in, right? One of the biggest topics is custody chain, right? Which is the standard today in ICO is terrible, which is people have their private wallet and they're just telling people to put money right into their private wallet so they can go on vacation or they can retire, they can do whatever they want. It's nonsense, right? So to me, if you're asking people to trust you, you really should set the structures in place. So for example, one of the things that's becoming common is the nonprofit foundation. So you can basically create like a five, uh, you know, sort of a, a traditional nonprofit entity, and you can essentially use that as a mechanism because there are laws and the laws protect people contributing to that. So to me, I would say, take a hard look at establishing transparency and governance structures that enable people to trust first time entrepreneurs. The second thing that I think is extremely important, so that's the reason why I call it day one disarmament, is that you make it like, how do you trust someone who's walking around with a gun? Like you kind of can't, right? Because you don't know them and like, so if you don't have a track record, don't have a gun, right? So in other words, if you disarm yourself, if you just start by saying, I have structured this in a way where it is literally impossible for me to steal your money because I have intermediary and fiduciary, I have escrow, I have custody, I have everything set up so that I am not in charge of the wallet. I can't just like cash it out and go to Tahiti. Like that's super important. The second thing that you can do that I think is pretty valuable is you can actually deliver traction. Show me. Prove it to me, right? Deliver and ship product. Collect users, get users. You can even collect fiat revenue, right? So the point is, is that if you have no track record, you can still show the world that you are honorable, that you're hardworking, that you, are, you have a great idea. And to me, the mood of these people if you just show them, if you're like, look at my service, download my app, go to my website, log in, create your account, use the service, look at how many users I have, get excited about how it feels, how I've designed it, you know, become a believer. Those are ways. So if you, if you can show traction, if you can prove it that you're the real deal, then you become trustworthy. Uh, but obviously, both of those things are important, right? Because I can build an incredibly awesome app and I can ship it and I can get tons of users, but if I'm just doing it as a money grab and I have no governance in place, then 
that's not good either. So to me, both of those things are important. If you're a first-time unproven entrepreneur, I'd love to see execution and delivery. And and so I have involved myself in a few projects with first-time entrepreneurs where I just feel like their execution has been really impeccable. So I feel like that's a, a, an important uh, set of considerations. That's great advice. And, and actually, that's advice for those looking to either invest in an ICO as well, is looking into the governance structure, making sure that those ducks are in a row as well if you're looking at being involved with some type of ICO or, or helping in any way or getting involved. So I want to jump into something else here, Miko. Uh, you, you're a co-founder at Evercoin. I would like to know, just because I feel like you know some of the things you actually just hit on in structure and trusting and, and things like that might be, and I don't know if it is, so I'm asking you this question, might be some of the reason why you created Evercoin. So what... What is what is Evercoin, first of all, and why did you create it, and what is the the need that it's solving? I want to give you just a moment to kind of you know push a little bit of, about what you're doing on your side and what you founded as well here, and 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 what what you know what would within that ecosystem of Evercoin, what's kind of going on there? Yeah, I'm very passionate about what we're building at Evercoin because. I see that cryptocurrencies are making some big mistakes with respect to how they operate. So one of the things that you may start to hear about if you start to follow the crypto news is you start to hear about these hacking events. So for example, in Japan, there was an exchange that was hacked for a half a billion dollars worth of a cryptocurrency called NEM. Right. But the thing that's crazy about the crypto space is, is that, you know, every month or so, you're probably going to hear about a new exchange that's being hacked. So famous names like Mt. Gox or Cripsy Exchange or the, there, there have been many incidents where huge amounts of cryptocurrencies have been hacked out of exchanges. The problem with all of these exchanges is they are what are called custodial exchanges. What is a custodial exchange? What it means is a custodial exchange is one where the users are storing large amounts of their cryptocurrencies up inside of the exchange. So a custodial exchange centralizes and it piles up all of the wealth of all of their users into a single location. This is a very dangerous idea because if you pile up everybody's money in a huge mountain, the temptation for hacking that location becomes huge. And by the way, most of these major hacking events are inside jobs, which means that someone inside that exchange has the private key, they can unlock that resource and they can transfer the money out and they can transfer it through all kinds of like dark web tumblers and they can essentially, you know, make anonymize the path of the currency so that it becomes untraceable. So the point that I'm trying to make about Evercoin is, is Evercoin is a non-custodial exchange. What it means is that people transact and the currency, the only risk is the currency that is the size of the transaction and the only risk window is during the transaction. So a way of looking at it is it's like the airport money changer. You go up to the booth, 
right? And they're not going to give you Japanese yen until they actually see your U.S. dollars, right? So you push the U.S. dollars in the window, right? And then they, and then as soon as they count that up, then they pay you Japanese yen, and then it's done. So the risk, you know, you're not storing like your entire life savings inside of that little booth, you know, at the airport. Like, you know, you're and the amount you're risking is is much smaller, and the time window of risk is much smaller, which is you're only risking. I mean, and the risk, you know, not, if if they have a booth in the airport, it's, the risk is probably low. In crypto, you know, if you do hand someone transactional money, you know, they can just pretend that it didn't happen and they can run away with it. The thing that's great about the blockchain is, is you can actually point at the blockchain and say, look, I did send that to you, right? And so then what you do have to do is you have to trust Evercoin. If we do see a transaction on the blockchain that we didn't honor, you know, we'll pay you out, like, you know, because, you know, we just want to build our business with trust. But the thing that, you know, so that's a great thing about blockchain. But what I do want to say is that, you know, I'm passionate about the idea of a non-custodial exchange, because what that means is it means that we're not piling up the user's money in a giant hackable pile, which I think is one of the biggest dangers and mistakes, which is that we're essentially re-centralizing cryptocurrency and we're creating these huge hackable mountains of wealth. And I think that's just downright dangerous. Yeah, I agree, couldn't agree more. And uh, I've actually, uh, you have a recent blog post specifically about custodial and non-custodial exchanges that I recommend everyone take a peek at. Um, having said that, we're basically running out of time here, Miko, and I know we can go on forever with this stuff. I would love to have you back if you're open to it at some point. Um, and also, uh, I hope to talk to you too. We're going to be uh, kind of doing some interviews on site at the Global Blockchain Summit coming up in April. Are you open to having us uh, talk with you more at that point? <laughs> Absolutely. It's been a great uh, time talking with you today. Uh, you know, if you're curious about that blog post or anything else, feel free to check out blog.evercoin.com. That's where I blog, and you know, those are where all of my ideas are, at least the blog form of them. And uh, you know, obviously, continue to check out the Influence Now podcast. Incredible speakers there, incredible interviewers. I've checked out the log history of the podcast, so you know, keep subscribing. I think it's a terrific resource. Absolutely. And thanks for that plug coming from you. That's, that's, uh, Hey, I appreciate it. <laughs> so, um, we'll also for anybody listening or watching this, we will also on our, on any of our pages, we're going to have all of Miko's information for Miko.com. Um, anything that we can, uh, give you in order to find Miko, um, and also where to subscribe. So having said that, Thanks, everyone, for coming on today, and we'll see you next time.